You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. In our time of forced isolation, we're recognizing our isolation. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Have you ever heard of the Human Library? This is one of those ideas I can't believe I haven't come across sooner and that I definitely want to know more about. The Human Library Organization is a global movement working to build spaces in the community for personal dialogue about issues that are often difficult, challenging, and stigmatizing. Volunteers become books, and the Human Library publishes people like open books on a given topic. Readers ask questions and get answers from their book. So simple and elegant. I've got links on my website. I love this concept on a whole lot of levels, not least for the wordplay it brings to mind. We think we can read people like a book, and we're often judge a book by its cover, never taking the time or effort to be curious about what may actually lie within. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. And this week, I wanted to dig into how choosing to be curious about people who aren't necessarily like us, people who are perhaps unfamiliar books to us, might help right now and anytime. And what, if anything, that might tell us about curiosity itself. The Human Library taps into what some call our sociable curiosity, a strong desire to know or learn something about others. It goes beyond just wondering or speculating about people to taking steps to actually get to know something about them. Some people think that the best way of living in diverse societies is to take a step back, give others some respectful, disinterested distance, what Open University professor Alan Cochran calls civil inattention, those social practices that revolve around noticing and navigating difference, but not necessarily celebrating it or getting too involved, a kind of pragmatic civility that maintains distance and avoids possible tensions with people who are different. On the other hand, sociable curiosity might even offer pathways to getting along with those who are different. Establish a basis for cooperative relationships and solidarities, or at least some modicum of better understanding. That's where Philippa Hughes comes in. Philippa is a social sculptor and cultural strategist. If you've lived in the D.C. area for any length of time, you've probably come across her work, even if you didn't know it. She works to connect people who would not normally meet in meaningful, humanizing dialogue sculpting space for curious people to ask questions, listen, and talk to each other, and designing art-fueled relationship-building experiences. Most recently, that's taken the form of Curiosity Connects Us, or curiosityconnects.us, through blueberries and cherries, which invites politically diverse guests to break bread and talk to each other face-to-face over a home-cooked meal, and inviting local artists and community members of all backgrounds and political stripes to come together to share their stories and perspectives for a project she calls Looking for America. So welcome, Philippa. 
Thank you. That was amazing. The human <laughs> library is one of my favorite concepts. I cannot believe I have not come across this before. So I have been trying to think of like how to start one um, because I've been trying to, you know, I, I'm really trying to experiment with different ways of having better conversations, but like really digging deep beyond the sur surface and human library just seems perfect. Okay. So we may have to, we may have to talk about working together. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, that's a great place to start. So let me ask first, how do you define curiosity? If curiosity connects us, what is curiosity? Well, I ran across this research about a year ago that kind of helped me get a better handle on what curiosity is. Because I, I don't know, I have a natural curiosity. I like people who are curious, um, but it's sort of like, I know it when I see it kind of thing. Right. I know it when I feel it. But there's this organization or this research lab, I guess, out of Berkeley called the Greater Good Science Center. Mm -hmm. And they've done a lot of research around curiosity and empathy and its relationship to empathy. And so they have talked about curiosity as a sense of feeling connected to sort of the fabric of humanity and like seeing your place in that. And that's, that's one little nuance of curiosity that really sticks out for me is feeling mm -hmm. like you're you belong and you're connected to something bigger than yourself. So, you know, it occurred to me as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, if curiosity connects us, then does a lack of, is a lack of curiosity simply neutral or does it actually isolate us? I think it's isolating. I think it's actually mm -hmm. disconnecting us. Yeah. And um, there's this other little aspect of curiosity that this organ, this lab came up with is like the, the sense of wonder about the world. And so again, it just kind of fits into the sense of like, if you don't have that sense of curiosity, you don't feel like you belong in, in a place or in the world or part of something. So I, I don't think it's neutral. I don't think so either. Well, you know, what I what I find interesting about this as a definition and kind of organizing principle is that we often think of curiosity as a somewhat singular and individual enterprise. And what you're doing is making it a communal enterprise, which which transforms our individual experience of it, um, but sort of undergirds this idea that it is a connective at a time when we're otherwise maybe feeling isolated. Well, it's kind of interesting because it's it we're we hear a lot of people talking about like how it's more important than ever to connect and all the things. And it's it's not more important than ever. It's always been this important <laughs> to me. <laughs> it's always to me been a, literally a matter of life and death. Um, it's just now we're seeing it, you know, now yeah. we actually feel it and understand it. So Yes, it's in our time of forced isolation. Um, we're recognizing our isolation. But even before this, um, there's, a, the, there's a former Surgeon General named Dr. Vivek Murthy, and he wrote a book that I think might have come out in the last six months or so um, about the sense of loneliness and how loneliness is actually a pan like almost like a pandemic in our society now. Mm -hmm. And that sense of loneliness he was writing about that well before, you know, now we're, we're recognizing our loneliness because we're physically isolated, but we, right. you know, our society has been moving in, in that direction in that bad direction for a while. So I know that you're on a mission to save democracy right now. Like this <laughs> yes. is, 
this is this is really and I'm I'm glad that this conversation fits within that because I know you're doing a good job of sort of prioritizing your time and energy in that respect. So is curiosity enough to save democracy? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> well, you know, I think it at the at the very least we have it's it's the starting point for how we yeah. save our democracy. Yeah. It's not the it's not the answer and it's not the complete solution. It's simply the starting point because I do believe that we have lost a sense of curiosity about one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do feel isolated and a sense of unbelonging. And, you know, I, I, tangentially, like, it, there, there, are, there are some of the reasons that explain, for example, why we have the administration that we have now is because people feel disconnected. They feel like they don't, their voice doesn't matter. Right? They, there's a sense of nihilism of why bother? And so, yes, we can cure those feelings through increasing curiosity about each other. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the ways that you actually do that, because you have some very cool, specific efforts that are saving democracy, kind of one dinner party at a time, but, but part of a larger kind of effort. So describe those a little bit for people who aren't necessarily so familiar. Well, I will say too that like everything I do, I feel like is a one big experiment and just <laughs> one big curious experiment of just trying stuff because yeah. there are so many ways of increasing curiosity and <laughs> connecting with each other. And so I know that like the thing that might work for me might not work for the guy next door. And so we have to do all kinds of different things so that everybody can feel like they can take partake in this, in this mm-hmm. exercise. Um, so dinner, breaking bread, is just a very fundamental thing that we can do with each other. And like that expression exists for a reason, because when we break bread together, we do start building, like laying the foundation for a relationship Mm -hmm. and the opportunity to actually have conversations with each other. So food-based things are definitely at the core of, of what of the projects that I've been working on, I'll kind of describe. I'll, I'll let me describe the Looking for America project. Yeah, please do. And it's morphed in recent months too. So I want to hear you talk about that because I think that's been a really interesting thing to to think about how some of these efforts really have changed in the face of a new reality. So yeah, go. And actually, even since I talked to you like a week or two ago, it's morphed again. So I'm excited. Why does that not surprise me? (laughs) All right, tell me more. Well, Looking for America basically began around my dinner table three days after the 2016 election. I was really upset, like many people in my circle, about the result of that election. And so, you know, my solution to dealing with you know, the way I cope <laughs> with that is I invited people over for dinner. Specifically, I invited people who voted for Trump for over for dinner because I wanted, I was curious about them. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't, I, I, this was very unexpected to me mm-hmm. and I don't understand, you know, why you would vote for this person. And I just, I just want to know. And so, mm-hmm. and I wanted to know the an- their answers without hearing it filtered through like uh, like the media or a, a political pundit or mm-hmm. something like that. Like I wanted to hear directly from the source. And so that's what I did. And it was like kind of the wild west. People came in and we just started arguing right from the <laughs> very beginning. <laughs> and these were strangers. I didn't even know them. We just <laughs> started in on But they it. came to your house. So that's yeah. interesting. I thought they were quite brave. I, I think that's an act of, yeah, bravery. bravery. Definitely. Because yeah. 
you know, uh, I did have to sort of convince them to come over, to be honest, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, because, you know, and the main thing was like, they didn't want to get yelled at by liberals, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but anyway, so I convinced them that we were all going to be nice and have a conversation, but it was awesome. And in fact, so there was like three of them and three of us and the three of them, I mean, I'm still in touch with them and um, they've come to, you know, other dinners after and they're awesome. I really love them. Uh-huh. Anyway. But I just kept doing that over and over, like about every month or two months or so. I did, I just kept doing that over and over each time, trying something different, um, experimenting with like the next time I realized, I, I told everybody in advance, like, we're not going to talk about, talk about politics for the first 20 minutes. Uh-huh. So you can, you can just get to know each other and just talk right. about anything else, you know? Right. So anyway, so I kept trying different things because I'm not like a trained facilitator or conflict, you know, um, manager. <laughs> uh, I just like, you know, I just wanted to have a conversation, mm-hmm. but you know, they kept getting better and better. And then after two years in 2018, I curated an art show at the Hyrick House Museum. It's down on DuPont Circle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the show is called A Good American. And it was inspired by Mr. Christian Heyrich, who was an, a German immigrant in the 1800s. And he built a brewery and it became the most successful business in DC and employed more people than anybody else other than the US government. I did not know this. Yeah. And, um, you know, so he was like, you know, a respected citizen. And then World War I came around and our government mm-hmm. asked him to make a loyalty pledge. And he mm-hmm. basically said, F you, I'm a good American. And so a hundred years later, that was like in 1918, a hundred years later in 2018, a lot of the same language that I was reading that when I was doing research on him was appearing again. And yeah. I was just like mind boggled by that. And so that's, that was the basis for the show. And then I invited 50 people from across the political spectrum to come to dinner and talk. Uh-huh. And that became the basis for looking for America. And so what we did was we curated art shows around the country and communities around the country with local artists in each place answering the question, what does it mean to be American in your community? And then organizing dinners across the political spectrum. So no longer was it like us versus them. It was more, and it became more interesting because there were like viewpoints mm. at every, you know, at every point in the spectrum. And we talked, we talked about what it meant to be American. And then, you know, all the issues that were brought up by that conversation we really went at it. But the thing that I think made that, that made the conversations um, more meaningful is that, again, I didn't let anybody talk about politics for the first part. What, we, what I asked them to do was bring an object that sort of represented their uh, connection to their community, uh, mm. their, their representation of being American. And the object could be like a song or a recipe or something like that. And everybody had a chance to tell their story. And that was a way to sort of humanize each other and find these commonalities and find a shared experience before we even talk about, you know, the harder topics. Were there any real commonalities or was part of the point that it's just a big mix? Yeah, both. Of course there were commonalities. Um, Some people brought in, you know, Bibles. And so, of course, like people had similar faith, um, uh, faith systems. But, you know, the whole, the point is like to find your commonalities, but also to celebrate your differences. Like yeah. it's fun to be different. Like if we right. were all exactly the same, that just would not be that interesting. And there'd be no need for curiosity at that point. 
So it was great to hear all the differences and it was great to find like the slivers of commonality. And do you think people walked away with that sense as well, that looking for America meant actually looking for difference as opposed to commonality? I think we're headed in that direction. Um, so I, my, so one of my great frustrations at the end of last year when we finished the sort of what we call phase one is that basically we only had like one conversation in each place. And it takes mm. a lot, you know, many, many more conversations than just that to build a relationship, to build trust and to really be able to celebrate those differences. Um, I think that we were kind of on the road to, and so in phase two, you know, our idea was to like figure out ways to have more conversations in, in, in even smaller groups in each place. But of course, all of that was foiled by the pandemic. So tell me what that started to look like. I, I finally succumbed to Zoom and I organ I've been organizing all these Zoom conversations and now I am completely sold on them. It's <laughs> awesome because, you know, it's never going to be a substitute for right. real life, it, but it's been amazing to be able to bring people together from different communities. That's been one of the best parts of it is that now somebody from Anchorage, Alaska can be in conversation from, with somebody from Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. So great. And it helps to, and I think in a way, it helps even better to show like how we are so different as Americans. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Our friends in Alaska don't even think of themselves as American first. They think of themselves as Alaskan first. And it's like going to another country when they come to the lower 48. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, it's, I just thought that alone was worth it. Yeah. So how has it changed since we spoke a week or so ago? Okay. So then, um, <laughs> so we're continuing the Zooms, of course. Um, I don't think I told you about this, but we are continuing our work in Northwest Arkansas. We got a little extra funding for that. Oh, congratulations. That's good and, news. Yep. And um, Northwest Arkansas is so interesting. I, I've been there many times now because of this project. And every time I just find it just so like magical in a way. The Ozarks are really incredible Yeah, um, in the people and the place. Anyway, um, so I've been working with these artists, several different artists there, and we are creating a couple different things. First, we want to create this sort of experience for one person because we are in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we are turning the space into a story collection space, but it's going to be, it's going to have like these stations in it. And um, it'll kind of lead people through the process of creating their own story. And what we're, what we're doing is inviting people who are longtime residents of that area. So sort of Ozark, um, like old timers. Mm -hmm. And we're inviting newcomers to the area, immigrants. Oh, who, interesting. And, and in fact, did you know that um, Arkansas has the highest population of Marsh people from the Marshallese Islands outside of the Marshall Islands? I did so, not know that. Who knew? <laughs> who knew? So there's that. There's a Vietnamese population, a really big Latinx population. And so what we want to do is collect their sort of um, sort of folklore and uh -huh. then want to show how Ozark folklore interweaves with immigrant stories to show that there are all these commonalities in folklore stories from around the world. So, but the thing that I'm really excited about, so we'll have people going through each through this experience on their own and collecting their stories. And then we're handing over all the stories to a local theater company. And they're going to turn those stories into little mini five minute plays. And those plays are going to be presented on a new platform we call Zoom. 
So uh -huh. we're gonna we're looking at Zoom as a art platform rather yeah. than just as a way to like um, have a conference call. And people are gonna experience a play on this, and she's and the plays will be presented, acknowledging the fact that they're seeing it through this new medium. Right, right. I love this. You know what I find really interesting about your work is that you have found ways to engage people who might not think of themselves as artists or might not think of themselves as particularly creative and held up a mirror that lets them experience themselves as artistic and creative. And I can only imagine that sort of bringing this back around to curiosity, that that has a liberating effect on people and that yeah. I think one of the things that happens when you're in that kind of a process is that you become curious about yourself in ways that you weren't before. Do you see that? Oh, okay. So then I was listening to this <laughs> other podcast. It's um, Brene Brown's podcast. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I knew you would love that one. Um, <laughs> and she talks about how, you know, it's hard to be curious about other people when you're not, you, you don't know yourself when you haven't, you kind of like mentioned it, like yep. you have to be curious about yourself and know who you are first then it's then you can go out into the world right. and be curious about others and so yes so these stories are part, part of the sort of process of that is introspection like look within yourself and see like what are the important things what are the things that you value and tell that to the world through a story yeah well i know that yeah oh i love that i love that so i know that one of the things that you talk about in terms of kind of the personal transformation and, and places that you try to stay includes discomfort. And like a lot of people spend a lot of time avoiding discomfort, right? So why, why are you seeking discomfort? Why is that so important to you? You know, that kind of goes back to our, you know, what we were talking about earlier too, like people have been forced into this extremely uncomfortable situation and mm -hmm. like it's they really don't like it <laughs> mm -hmm. I have really enjoyed it myself but I like discomfort <laughs> yeah. um you know I guess through maybe, maybe that's a good question I mean I have felt a lot of discomfort in my life and when I have done my own introspection and I realized where were the moments when I really grew as a person it was through those times of discomfort mm -hmm. and I can just track each thing and say, Oh yeah, like that's, that became this. And then that led to that. And I can see it when I look back now there, there's this other great, <laughs> there's this other great talk um, that I, this video I saw of Steve jobs giving a commencement speech to the Stanford class of 2005. I think uh -huh. it was. Uh -huh. I really recommend a, a it. Classic. Yes. Have I will put a, yeah. I'll, I have, I have, I'll put a link on the web, on the Facebook page and website. It's so great. And the one piece that I love from that speech is his, the way he talks about connecting the dots and how when we look back, we can see where how all the dots connected and it's so clear. But when you're 21 years old, you can't look ahead and see how, you know, you can't see where all the dots are, uh, how they will connect. And so anyway, so that just kind of reminded me of thinking about, you know, when I was in those moments of discomfort, they felt so dire and this is it. Like, 
I'll never get over this, you know? And so it's only looking in hindsight that I realized, oh yeah, I did get through that. And here's what happened because, you know, here's the amazing thing that came of that. And that led to this other amazing thing. And the other thing that I would add to Steve Jobs's um, theory on the dots, on the connecting the dots, (laughs) is that, you know, as you kind of alluded to earlier, I do have very many interests. I I have a lot of things going on at all times. And I realize that those are all my dots. I'm always Uh like just throwing a lot of dots out into the world because I don't know where they're going to connect. And so I'd rather have, you know, I want to increase my chances of the dots connecting by just throwing out a lot of dots all the time. This has gone way, way too fast, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to connect some dots. I have my big jar of wannabe analogies here. (laughs) So this is, um, in fact, a, a big jar. And uh, I have little slips of paper in here. I'm going to take out three, one for you, one for me, and one for our um, audience. And uh, we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on this. So these are our dots. So yours is... um, uh, (laughs) That was curiosity like a baby carriage. (laughs) Oh, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Mine is beer bottles. How is curiosity like beer bottles? Um, okay. Oh, that's really funny, given the whole conversation about the beer. Um, okay. So curiosity is like a beer bottle. Um, because when you crack it open, you have an opportunity for something that is... Um, refreshing, maybe a little um, disinhibiting. And um, and when you look through a beer bottle, it, it changes how you see the world. And I think curiosity does that too. How's that? For, Pretty good. Well, curiosity is like a beer bottle. Okay. So <laughs> curiosity like a baby carriage. Yeah. Well, I'm going to slightly take the easy way out, but I'm going to say curiosity is like a baby carriage because there's usually a baby in the baby carriage and babies are the most curious creatures in the world. They're always pointing and asking and looking and absorbing. They're like little sponges of knowledge. So that that maybe was too easy. Uh, No, 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 there are no wrong answers coming out of this. And for, I love that. And for the audience, um, yours is clouds. How is curiosity like clouds? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Philippa, this has been great. And I'm actually really excited about following up with you on Human Library and maybe some of these other things. If people want to find you to learn more, where can they track you down? Um, curiosityconnects.us. If you want to email me directly, there's a link in there and I'd love to hear from anybody. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. This is awesome. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Ditcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious or on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your clouds analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Philippa Hughes. Be sure to check out curiositychonnects.us. You won't be disappointed. 
Thanks too to Karen Bate of Awesome Women Entrepreneurs for making the Curiosity Connection. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash novahousehunter. Funding for Choose to be Curious is provided in part by Concentric Private Wealth, where changemakers develop clarity for today and confidence for tomorrow by centering on what matters most, which involves more than just money. More information at www.concentricpw.com. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.